Well, a very warm welcome from my side, so good to see you, and a warm welcome to the family and friends that have joined at the O'Briens. What a special moment that we get to share together, and so good to have you guys all with us, and amazing to be in the room. Amen. Let's never take that for granted. It's just been absolutely awesome being back in the room, seeing your faces, while well, most of them, I'm hoping one day I'll actually be able to see the smiles under the masks. For now, just all smile at me. I just want to see if I can tell. Yeah, good. You can, you can kind of tell. Some people have more smiley eyes than others. Um, but just amazing to be in the room um, every week, uh, seeing more faces and different faces, and a week in and week out, seeing a lot of the same back. And so it's just amazing uh, and a real privilege and not to be taken for granted this opportunity. Uh, and for those of you who are with us online, uh, an absolute uh, honor it is to be able to still have an online community, to be able to minister online as well. So it's just uh, an amazing time to be alive. Amen. Lots going on. Well, as Dunk said, we're about to um, kick off a new uh, book within the Minor Prophets, and we're going to be in the Minor Prophets for the majority of this year, interspersed with a couple of uh, other series throughout it. Um, and we've done Malachi so far, and today we, as Duncan said, are jumping um, into Zechariah. And now, as we go into this, uh, my question as I was preparing for this, and I don't know if you guys have found it uh, as well, is it seems to me, it would appear to me, that us as uh, the human race, um, the human race, we, we seem to have a natural capacity for something. We seem to have a natural ability for something. It just seems to come very naturally to us as humans. And that is the capacity to make dumb decisions. Can I get an amen in the house? <laughs> I don't know if you find the same thing. I find it in my life. It's just something that we seem to be born with. We just know how to make dumb decisions. It seems like every lesson that we need to learn in this life, we need to learn the hard way around. I don't know if I'm just preaching to myself or if any of you can resonate with me this morning. But I remember as a kid, um, I wasn't very interested in homework. Uh, I, I didn't really see the point of it. I didn't enjoy it. Uh, and there's many other things that are important for a young boy at primary school to be doing, like chasing the soccer ball around the field. You know how all the grade ones all chase the ball everywhere it goes. It's much more important than homework, right? Uh, and so for me, I didn't quite get it. And um, I needed to learn the hard way. I needed to learn that lesson the hard way of the reason for homework, the importance for homework. But it took me going around the mountain and around the mountain again, and then around the mountain again to finally learn the lesson of why we have homework. And now that I've got my own kids, uh, I would like to teach them, I'd like to help them. If at all possible, I'd like to make it that they don't have to learn this the hard way around, that they don't have to go around the mountain and around the mountain. Um, and so I would like to try to do that, but it would appear as if the kids are going to inevitably make those same mistakes, but hopefully they'll learn them a little bit quicker than I did. But at some point, they're going to have to learn the hard way, and they will finally get it right. And when they get it right, we can praise them for getting it right. That's the cool thing. We can do that. And that pretty much sums up the story of the Israelites in the Old Testament. That's pretty much their lives. They just consistently chose the hard way, the difficult way when it came to loving God. They consistently chose the hard way when it came to serving God. He would ask them to do something or he would tell them not to do something and they just wouldn't listen. This was their story. So here in Zechariah, where we are today, God's nation 
had suffered destruction. They had suffered 70 years of Babylonian captivity for disobeying him. The year now at this point is 520 BC, and those 70 years of captivity have now passed. God's people have returned to Jerusalem. They're coming back to rebuild. But the real question was whether or not they were willing to return to God. That's what's going on here. Will these people now return to God? You see, their problem was that they consistently had to learn obedience to God the hard way. It was part of their story. And so Zechariah's purpose for writing this book was to communicate God's message to these people. It was to communicate to the people so that they would be motivated back to proper worship of their God. That was his job. And so we're going to read together in Zechariah chapter 7, uh, verse 1 to 10, and take it from there. It says, In the fourth year of King Darius, the word of the Lord came to Zechariah on the fourth day of the ninth month, which is Chislev. Now the people of Bethel had sent Shereza and Rejimelech, I hope I'm getting it right, and their men to entreat the favor of the Lord, saying to the priests of the house and the Lord of hosts and the prophets, and here's the big question, should I weep and abstain in the fifth month, as I have done for so many years? This is their question that they're asking. Verse 4, the word of the Lord of hosts came to me. Say to all the people of the land and the priests, when you fasted and mourned in the fifth month and in the seventh for those 70 years, was it for me that you fasted? Verse 6, there's another question. And when you eat and when you drink, do you not eat and drink for yourselves? Verse 7, another question. Were not these the words that the Lord proclaimed by the former prophets when Jerusalem was inhabited and prosperous and her cities around her and the south and the lowland were inhabited? And then I love verse 8. It goes on to say, Then the word of the Lord came to Zechariah, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Render true judgment, show kindness and mercy to one another. Do not oppress the widow, the fatherless, the sojourner, or the poor, and let none of you devise evil against another in your own heart. And so what's happening now is that there's three things that jump out as we read this together. There's three main things that are jumping out that we're going to look at today. The first one is that there was a sincerely stupid question. Okay, we're going to look at it. The second one is that there was a very revealing answer. And the third thing that jumps out is that there is a better way. All right, so we're going to start from the beginning. Number one, a sincerely stupid question. I think we can all identify with this in our own lives. <laughs> Certainly I can. And we find that question in verse 3. So what was happening? People from the town of Bethel had come to visit Jerusalem, and they're asking the priests and the prophets, should I mourn and fast in the fifth month as I have done for so many years? Now, the reason that they were mourning and fasting in this fifth month is because they were remembering the destruction of Jerusalem and the destruction of the temple. That's why they would mourn and fast. And so now they're here and they're basically asking, well, now that we're back in Jerusalem and now that we're starting to rebuild, do we really have to continue with this outdated old ritual? That's what they want to know. And so, so far, so good, right? That's a 
sounds like a legitimate question. It sounds like an understandable question to be asking. It sounds like something important that they're asking. And actually, they're completely sincere in asking this question, even though it sounds like it could be a stupid question. It's completely sincere. And so you'd think that there's a fairly straightforward, down-the-line, easy reply, except for one thing. And that is that God has a way of skipping past the things that we think are important to confront us with the things that he thinks are important. If you take your notes today, God has a way of skipping past those things that we think are important and confronting us with the things that he thinks are important. You see, God has a way of caring far more about the attitude and the motivation than the form. He cares more about attitude and motivation of our hearts than the form or the external. And perhaps if that had been on the forefront, on the minds of the people, they wouldn't have needed to ask this question about the external form. Perhaps if they had been focused on the heart of that annual worship time, they would have found ways to remember the heartbreak of, of the destruction of the temple and at the same time celebrate the progress that is being made on the reconstruction and therefore they would have been in touch with God's heart on the matter. And so it's a sincere question, but a bit of a stupid question. And God has the opportunity to answer that. And the way that God answers it in point number two, a revealing answer, is he actually responds to their question with three questions of his own. So the first one that we're going to look at, the first question God comes back at them with, is was it really for me? Question number one, was it really for me? And God is asking, when you fasted and when you mourned in the fifth and the seventh month for the past 70 years, was it really for me that you fasted? Good question. Because the whole purpose of fasting is to deny ourselves the pleasures of the world so that we can learn to depend on God and to focus on God. It's a spiritual practice that helps us put God first in our lives. So when somebody fasts, they, they, they set in aside something that they would normally do for themselves, like eating, and replace it with activities like prayer or studying of God's Word. And here in, in God's first question, he's questioned whether or not they were actually fasting for the right reasons. Because the thing is that serving God is all about the intention of our heart. Amen. Serving God is always about the intentions of our heart. It's always a good thing to ask ourselves what we can call heart check questions. Even when we jump into the New Testament, we find Paul encouraging us to examine ourselves, to check ourselves, to see, are we really following God for the right reasons? We see that in 2 Corinthians 13. Because if we're not following God for the right reasons, maybe our hearts are actually far from God, and we don't actually realize it yet. And so that's the first question that God comes back at them with. Examine your hearts were you truly fasting for me? He jumps into the second question after that. And the second question he asks them is, was it actually for yourself? Was it actually for yourself? When you were eating and drinking, were you not just feasting for yourselves? Because at this time in Zechariah's day, God's people were actually only concerned about themselves. 
whether they were fasting from food or whether they were enjoying food, they were doing it for themselves. They weren't giving thanks to God. They weren't giving recognition to God. He was the one that was providing for them, but actually they didn't care. And that's the root of the problem. And it's still the root of the problem for you and me today. The problem with disobedience always stems from selfishness. Disobedience always stems from selfishness. And there's no way around that. When we disobey God, what we're doing is we're putting ourselves before Him. We're saying that we matter more than God matters. And that's the root of the problem. So that's the second question he asks. And then he asks one more question. I love this one. Were you not warned? <laughs> he actually asked that. Were you not warned? Because are these not the words of the Lord proclaimed through the earlier prophets when Jerusalem and its surrounding towns were at rest and, prof and, and prosperous? He's asking, you've been warned. Uh, is there any Parks and Rex fans here today at all? Anyone? Yes, I knew it. A few. For those of you who know Parks and Rec, what do you think heard happily? would have said to this? The answer to that question is yes. <laughs> For those of you who don't know Parks and Rec, you can go check it out. But the answer is yes. God's people were warned. They were warned again and again and again through the words of his prophets. They were constantly warned about the destruction that would come if they did not return to God. They were actually warned so much that you can really build a case for God's patience. And even today, I think we can really build a case for God's patience with us. But if you look at some of the other prophets, so for example in Joel, we read, we read, Rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord, for He is gracious, compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in loves, and He relents from sin and calamity. Who knows, He may turn and relent and leave behind a blessing. Warning. Jeremiah, another prophet, would uh, have the same message. In Jeremiah 18.8, If that nation are warned, repents of its evil, then I will relent and not inflict the disaster that I had planned. And the prophet Jeremiah lived not long before God's judgment actually finally came on his people. This is about a hundred years before Zechariah. And when the Lord of the word, uh, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, God said that his people only followed the stubborn inclinations of their evil hearts. They went backwards, they didn't go forwards. God said that day after day, again and again, I sent my servants, but you did not listen or pay attention. God had warned them over and over. And so that's how God answers a simple question. <laughs> it's a bit ouch, right? It's a little bit ouch. But it's a heart-revealing answer to a simple question about whether or not they should continue with this fasting and mourning. And now do you see what I mean about God having a way of skipping past what we might think is important and confronting us with what he actually thinks is important? Because the question that came was all about form. It was all about the external, but God's response was all about the heart. God's response, if you take your notes this morning, is always all about the heart. You see, God is continually calling us away from self-centeredness 
And that is a battle that we all need to fight. And that is a battle that we will always need to fight. It's a battle that we have to be diligent in because we all have the tendency to slip back into thinking about ourselves, about putting ourselves first, about looking at the world around us as if we're the center of that world. And it seems that that is exactly what the Israelites had been doing. Because they said, even now in your holy festivals, aren't you just eating and drinking to please yourselves? That is a very convicting question, even for us to be faced with today. Now, I suppose the thing is, we could look at these Israelites, and we could shake our heads at them, and we could wag our finger at them, saying, you know, you Israelites, you just never seem to get it right, do you? God has been telling you all along the same message proclaimed through the prophets for all these years, and you still haven't gotten it. We can respond to them with this sort of smug superiority. But if we did that, do you see what would happen there? If we did that, we'd be doing the exact same thing. We would be focusing on the external and not focusing on the heart. My favorite part is when it gets to verse 8 to 10 of Zechariah 7. The word of the Lord came to Zechariah saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Render true judgments, show kindness and mercy to one another, do not oppress the widow, the fatherless, the sojourner, or the poor, and let none of you devise evil against another in your heart. And that leads us to our last point today. There is a better way. There is a better way. Because what does God actually want from us? God does not want empty ritual, but what God wants is true mercy. God wants true mercy. And God hardly ever, or if ever at all, makes an indictment without providing us with the right alternatives. And again, the response here that God gives might be a little surprising to us. It might take us by surprise. Because we might think that in confronting the empty external forms of worship, which actually had become self-serving to the people, maybe we think that God would instead call them to true heartfelt expression of worship within that current form. So we might have expected God to say, come and worship me and just think about me and focus your heart on me and make this an expression of your love for me. But the interesting thing is God doesn't do that. God repeats here a message that has been consistent throughout Scripture which I'll paraphrase by saying that the kind of worship that God desires is not an occasional activity, but it is rather an entire way of living. The type of worship God seeks is not an occasional activity. No matter how life-giving that activity might be, it's a lifestyle, an entire way of living. And that is exactly what God is saying here. The forms, the activities, the dates, the times, the structures, the music choices, the length of sermons, all of that doesn't matter. It's not nearly as important as how we are living out our lives every single day. And God actually gets a little bit more specific now with some commands that actually help shape that lifestyle of continual worship. I'm going to go through them. The first one in our translation, the ESV, says, Render true judgments. But I actually really like how the NIV puts it. The NIV says, Administer true justice. 
because there's a deep sense of command there that we to live faithfully, always doing what is right. It's not about people in authority passing judgment, that's not what they're saying, but it's every single one of us living day to day doing the right thing. It's not living every day doing the easy thing or the thing that makes us feel comfortable or the thing that makes us feel happy. It's about doing the right thing every day. True justice. The second command is he says, show mercy and kindness to one another. I just love this because that word, that, that, that word mercy describes the covenant relationship, that covenant love that God has for his people. That's what it is. It's the idea of us in genuine um, relationship with one another, about faithfulness and mercy and love and loyalty to those relationships that he's put you in. It's such an incredibly strong, deep word, and probably more than what you and I think of when we think mercy. It's followed by the word kindness, and kindness is better translated compassion. Compassion for one another. Compassion is a picture of tenderness of a mother to her unborn child. God's calling us to that type of compassion between us. So when God is talking about how he wants us to worship, he chooses to describe lifestyles that are characterized by always doing what is right, by being in deep relationship with one another that are loyal, faithful, tender, and compassionate. That is worship. That is a lifestyle of worship that God is saying he requires of us. And then when we get to verse 10, God echoes those ideas, but he starts actually giving some more concrete ways. And the first one is a specific command about how we are to treat the vulnerable in society. And in those days, they spoke about the widows, the orphans, the foreigners, and the poor. And the intention over here is not just to address our reaction to the vulnerable, but to give us concrete action to the vulnerable as well. It echoes James 1 verse 27. Pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. You see, the command here demonstrates God's special concern for the poor and the vulnerable and our responsibility to be his hands and his feet in meeting their needs. Verse 10 finishes with the fourth command, to not scheme against one another. It's calling us to relationships that are based on truth and fairness and compassion for one another, rather than manipulation that attempts to exalt ourselves. It's a type of worship God wants us to live out. And so I'm sure you can see that chapter 7 is tough, right? It's a strong passage. It's a passage that is calling us to examine our lives, to see if we are truly living for God, or if in fact we may be living for ourselves. It begins with questioning our motivations, questioning our hearts as we come to worship, and then it quickly expands to recognize that God requires a whole lifestyle of worship that is far, far larger than just the things that we do when we gather together. And God requires us to live this lifestyle of worship that is expressed every single moment of every single day. It is reflected in our choices to do 
what is right, to live in deep relationships of loyalty and faithfulness to one another, to exercise special concern for the poor and the vulnerable, and to always put others ahead of ourselves. That's what God is calling us to. And so I guess the question is, how are we doing? How are you doing? I know that some of you here are trying to live that out every day with all your heart and mind and soul and strength. That's your desire, what you're trying to do. But others of us, maybe not so much. Maybe there's those of us in the room this morning as we're hearing about this, as we get to reflect on our own hearts, that are saying, actually, I think I've drifted. Maybe I've gotten a little bit selfish. Maybe some of us have let ourselves become concerned about the externals. It's so easy to become concerned about the externals and ignore the real state of our heart. Maybe some of us have wandered away from our first love. We've put God in the back seat. We've been living for ourselves rather than others. And maybe if we're honest, we've ignored the needs of the vulnerable around us. At the end of the day, what we're learning here in Zechariah is that's not okay. That's actually a very dangerous way to live. It's a way that would lead us to live lives of loneliness, of rebellion. It's going to lead us to live lives of lack of purpose. It will lead us to live a life that will ultimately reject God and miss out on everything that he has for us. And so as the band joins me on stage, I just want to leave you with a question as we wrap up this morning. And the question is basically just this. Is Jesus first in your life? Is Jesus actually first in your life? Is it all about you or is it all about him? Have you lost your first love? Have you been living for yourself? Have you turned your back on him? Because at the end of the day, God looks at all of our lives and asks, is it really for me? I'm going to ask you to stand with me this morning as we pray and go into one last worship song. Lord Jesus, we come to you this morning, first of all, uh, with hearts that say thank you, and that we do love you, and that we bless you in this place. And we thank you that you are a God who is able to see past what we think is important, and that you're, a, you're willing to confront us with what you think is important. And we know that this morning and in this moment, that is what you are doing, Jesus, confronting us to see the things that you think are important. And so right now, we just take this moment, Lord Jesus, and we, we, we pause and we calm ourselves. And we take a second to examine our own hearts. This morning, are we, are we so focused on the external? Are we so focused on the form that we've forgotten about the heart? Won't you help us in this, Jesus? Won't you work deeply within our hearts? Won't you work deeply within the hearts of our congregation and our community? Lord, to really look at what it is to say, I'm living my life putting Jesus first in every aspect. My heart belongs to Him. My life belongs to Him. And that is how I live. My worship is every single moment of every single day. We thank you, Jesus, for who you are. We thank you for salvation. We thank you that we can stand here this morning in this place as fully devoted lovers 
of our Savior, our King of Kings, our Lord of Lords. We don't take this for granted. We pray, Holy Spirit, won't you move amongst us? Won't you move within us, streams of living water, as we sing together right now?